You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. All right. Welcome to a new episode of JBC Connect. I know it's been a while, but I think this is worth the wait. Um, I got my good friend, Reverend Laura Ng, uh, to join us and uh, extremely busy doing so many things, um, working with ABHMS, and then you're working on um, doctoral studies and I don't know, getting this new platform online, all this stuff. There's so much to talk about. So I want to just dive right into it. And I wanted to tell people that I wanted to actually do a conversation with Lauren for quite a while, um, especially in light of all the stuff that was happening with like, you know, hate crimes toward the AAPI community. And there's all this stuff. And, you know, as a pastor, uh, Lauren, I, I feel like this pressure, like, what are you going to say? Like, you need to say something really thoughtful. You've got to lead us forward. You've got to navigate. And honestly, it's exhausting because, like, I just want to, I want to process it myself. It's almost like I've got to kind of take care of others first before I can do my own thing. And so I thought, like, you know, I don't want to, I, I don't think I could do a conversation or a podcast, you know, it was because it was just too close to home in so many ways. And I'll, I'll talk a bit about, like, some of the stuff I was going through later, but um but you know what I thought was like, you know, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait a little bit to like things settle. Cause like, that's kind of the personality I am. I need time to process and I'm going to swing around and I'm going to try and find a good friend that um, I can just talk with and yeah, just like freely talk about it. Not feel like we have to represent like the entire API community. Like, I don't want to feel also like we have to like educate everyone about our personal context or anything like that. Cause you know, both of us are in some ways, like I'd say like people would think like, Oh, we're very quote stereotypical, whatever that means. But in other ways, like, I think we have very unique stories, both of us, um, mm -hmm. very unconventional, um, entry points into like church and society. So, uh, so I thought like, you know what, let's just kind of give ourselves permission to like kind of lay off all those shackles <laughs> and uh, just let's, just, let's just talk, you know? So I thought it would be a nice way to start off today with just kind of like freely talking about how you've been dealing personally um, with the attention of all this, like uh, the API community coming to the forefront, uh, for the yeah. forefront recently, you know, uh, obviously concerning hate crimes, but for a lot of reasons, right? I think increased representation, you know, like, uh, like just thing on top of my head, like me not getting all these like, um, uh, these votes, like, you know, and just being recognized yeah, in the creative Oscars. circle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nuts, right? So it's just a really interesting time to be a part of this community, right? So I was interested in like, how are you dealing with all this stuff personally and in ministry? Yeah, I mean, you well, to, first of all, we, yeah. yeah, first of all, thanks for having me back. I yeah. always enjoy conversations with you, Sam, um, and certainly with the JVC family. So, uh, and I, and I love the idea of just having a kind of conversational, relaxed exchange. Um, because I was just saying to you before we started recording that I have been joking to people um, close to me uh, saying things like, oh, okay, I'm ready for everyone to celebrate someone else's heritage because <laughs> right. it has been such a busy month. And when I say busy, I mean, yeah, speaking engagements, writing articles, podcasts, having conversations, critical conversations, needed conversations, but also busy just because it's like um, what's happening inside of us. It's, a, it's an emotionally, spiritually busy time, even internally. Um, so I made that, I make that joke. Uh, but at the same time, 
there's a, there's a sadness too around the reality that it took um, violent crime against uh, hate crimes against the AAPI community for um, our voices and stories to be heard in unprecedented ways in this country. And I was mentioning to you too that I think a lot of theologians, creatives, people have been kind of working through that idea. Like, so what happens on May 31st when the Heritage Month is over? What happens um, if, you know, the hate crimes start to, um, start to minimize or decease, you know, uh, cease to happen. I mean, that would be wonderful, but will the AAPI agenda and will our identities as a, as a, as a um, diverse community start to fade into the background? So there's just a lot going on. Um, how I'm dealing with it personally. I mean, I think March 16th, 2021, when the murders happened in the Georgia Atlanta area, I think that was sort of a kind of a flashpoint for me. Um, I'd already been paying attention. I'd already been engaging in conversations about it. Um, but something like really, uh, I don't know, visceral happened to me, like, like bodily reaction occurred on that night. And I was, it was a Tuesday night. I'm going to always remember that because I was in my demon class and my phone starts lighting up of people saying, oh my gosh, have you heard? Did you, news article? And um, my professor, uh, who's an Asian man, Korean man, he called on me next to speak about something in the class. And I said, Dr. Park, I am so sorry, but if I, I, I need to share something. Um, I have been distracted. I'm going to be honest. I've been distracted because my phone is going off. I'm getting the news about this. This has just happened. And he said, oh my gosh. And then of course, everyone in the class starts looking it up and we just are all exhaling um, out of the cohort of 10, uh, seven of us are Asian. Um, several of them are my, our brothers of, uh, from uh, Myanmar, Burma. So we started to, to just like Sigh and just kind of, you know, remark about it. And then we wept and then we prayed. Um, and yeah. And then after class was over, I, I went upstairs, I was talking to my husband about it. And I just started, we, I start crying. I just, I mean, a lot makes me cry these days. I mean, I'm in my forties, you know, who knows perimenopause, I don't know what's going on, but it, I, everything makes me cry. Like show me a Pixar Disney film. I'm in tears. Okay. So, but this was different. This was, I mean, I felt like I said to my husband who, um, yeah, I said to my husband, I said, these women were targeted because they look like me, something that's unchangeable. I would never want to change it, but I'm also unable to change it. And the thought that somebody would go in and target people simply because they fit the type that I fit, um, physically, you know, uh, was just, uh, was just abhorrent and really scary. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a huge, like deluge of emotion that kind of came out. And it was that night that I, um, I, a, a good friend of mine, um, African-American woman texted me and said, tonight we weep tomorrow we fight. And I woke up the next morning and I was like, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? Mm. Anyway, make a long story short, I called together a bunch of people locally um, and ended up hosting a Zoom two nights later on that Thursday night, March 18th, and 63 people showed up. Wow. And a lot of things have happened in our community. Things were already happening before I got engaged, but um, 
you know, having pulled people together, uh, a lot has started to happen. Um, so it was a great way for me to kind of like channel some of my, um, my grief and that, that, that trauma, the trauma of the experience into some positive action. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, I'm really glad you brought that because I was wondering if we should just use that incident in particular as like kind of a turning point because like there was something about that, right? That just, I think, really released a lot of things for a lot of people, definitely for myself. Um, And I think that the grief is that we all kind of realized the people like I was talking to and even just processing myself is that we've been like, we've been like enduring this shame for like a long time, like just being tokenized, um, demeaned, you know, objectified and told somehow that we have to like the word in like Korean is like tamo, which is like endure. Like in Mm -hmm. in Japanese, it's like gamansudo is just Mm -hmm. like bear it, you know? Bear down, yeah, bear down. Yeah, and it's really toxic because like it's, it's in our culture, this kind of philosophy of just like, put your head down and just take it, you know? Cause like, that's the higher virtue, right? And so like, I think something about that violent act just so blatantly wrong, like it just released like all these years, why have we bought into this? You know, like, why have yeah. we let people treat us this way? You know, and yeah. um, and I think of myself, like growing up as a very distinct minority, like around a lot of like, uh, like a Ukrainian kind of like community in Canada and Edmonton, um, you know, people just just getting used to the fact that like no one outside of my door understands who I am. And if I tell them who I am and where I come from, like they'll make fun of it. So I just don't talk about it, you know, and just realizing like all my childhood, like there's so much racism in it that but I just like I this is life, you know, and I just kind of grinned and, you know, I just I just bear it, you know, and I think there was something about that was just really yeah, just triggering for all of us, you know, it's like, uh, well, I think we're, you know, you, you use the phrase, like, why have we allowed it for so long? And I, and I guess that begs the question of, you know, where does the culpability rest? I mean, mm-hmm. is it our fault? Because we've, we've, we've been willing culturally or generationally, whatever to, to bear it and mm-hmm. just head down, just be quiet. Or is that, you know, have we just been victims of, um, you know, a, 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 a Euro white Euro, you know, n- normative culture, yeah. um, that has told us that we had no other options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think, I think, um, a lot of it is self-preservation, you know, right. Like we, we hear, uh, we think we've, a lot of us have heard, um, our elders say things like, just don't stir the pot, <laughs> mm-hmm. like do it. And, and that, that's born out of an immigrant experience, of course, like a first generation immigrant experience of like, just don't, cause anybody to pay attention to you right, like whatever you have to do right. yeah whatever you have to do to to stay safe and preserve yourself mm-hmm. um and we our generation now um gets to reap the benefits of that um of that self-preservation even though we could look at them and say well i wish you had been more forthright i wish you had spoken up more they were doing what was required of them in their time um, to be able to give literally and figuratively give birth to the next generation who then gets to decide for ourselves how vocal we want to be, what kind of presence we want to have in this country. And I think your daughter, my kids, their generation will have yet even more, hopefully, Mm -hmm. let's pray, um, 
progress to be made because of, you know, the foundation that, that we have laid as their parents. Yeah. I mean, I tell my kids all the time, like, it's so cool that you see people who look like you on the big screen. <laughs> I mean, it's cool that when you, we, I was walking into a Rite Aid the other day and my daughter was picking out like an eyeliner and the model, like two of the, you know, five models up there were Asian. And I was like, you know, it just didn't used to be like that. Yeah. It just, you know, and I still notice it. I mean, it's one yeah. of those things that they don't notice it. Thankfully yeah, it's yeah. normal for them, but for me, it's still kind of like a shock. That's right. That's um, right. Yeah. You know, and you know, I want to just kind of interject here. Cause like, I, I want to make sure, cause I'm really thankful you clarified that because okay, good. Yeah. my wording, when I said like, allow, you're right. Like that's what makes it so complicated is that uh, it's been imposed on us, you know, like, mm-hmm. and we, we've, we've been oppressed by this, you know, but we, right. um, I feel like my generation being the second generation of immigration, like Korean, and this is where it gets complicated too, right? Cause like every ethnicity has a different immigration history mm-hmm. and length. Um, a lot of different right. contexts, but like, I, I feel like we, I didn't have the language to articulate, like, um, you, you're, you're imposing something on me. Like, I didn't have right. like the tools to like fight back or no, you know? And it's only like, I, I think now that we're kind of seeing like peers and other, you know, ethnic groups, like mobilizing and just thinking systematically and strategically about like how to expose and, you know, mm-hmm. attack racism that, we're finding things that are helping us too. And, you know, we're like all coming together and it's exciting to see like people of color yeah. rallying, but it's, you know, I, th- I think we're all on a journey still. Right. Um, and part of what, what happened with me with this, that week in particular was like two days later for me. So I'm, a, I'm an adjunct teacher at um, Seattle Pacific university. And I, I teach a, like a Christian foundations class and um, we go systematically through this book by Lisa Sharon Harper, like the very good gospel, which is a great book, mm-hmm. you know, and it talks about like, what does God's shalom look like if we apply it mm-hmm. to all the brokenness of the world? And I talk at length about um, white privilege and God's desire for shalom between the races, right? And in this final paper, um, there's a student who actually does really badly in the course because, you know, <laughs> and I, they didn't get a good mark. And so they wrote back to me like, uh, this comment saying like, yeah, but you need a psychiatrist because you're obsessed with white privilege. I mean, like, this is like on the official, like, you know, e-system, like he's writing this on like, it's, it's oh on the network. Gosh. It's like official. And I was just like, so this is like two days after the shooting or something like that. And he, he, does he, I mean, I don't know. And then, and then he dropped out. I, I don't is know. He how not a pers- is, he a, is he not a person of, is he a person of color? No, he's, okay. he's Caucasian. Okay. Young, uh uh-huh. male and um mm-hmm. and i found out later when i reported him that he he did this to another faculty of color wow. and but you know that day like normally like this is just like whatever i mean i i get this all the time in my life you know like i feel but something about that week i was just like but that week i i can't you know and i just i feel like i just shut down honestly yeah. like i was like ah and and I knew I had to preach about this like the following Sunday, like a couple of days later. And I feel like it just, it was really like just an act of grace, like the Holy Spirit, just like God, I really was like, God, I don't, I need you to speak through me. It was like, literally, I just like cobbled together some points and just speak. Yeah. And I got through it, but um, I, I just want to kind of share about like how, I think that was such a turning point for all of us. 
And, you know, it's interesting, it like when you mentioned kids, cause like, that's the first thing you turn to, right? Like we both have daughters. Um, you know, my, my daughter's younger than yours. Like uh, she's four, she just turned four, but that's what you immediately turn to is like, well, what kind of world is she going to go into? Like, is she going to go into school with that? So you, you have this like tension of like, ah, we're so broken. But then you mentioned that, you know, wonderful story about like going to see the, the eyeliner and like posters, <laughs> you realize like, in some ways we're so much farther along, right? When I think yeah. of like what my dad endured, right? Like coming in as um, an immigrant to, um, you know, to Canada, completely white community. And I found out much later in life, like he, he endured a lot of intense racism in that town. Mm. Um, I'm sure. But so we've gone so much farther than that, but at the same time, we're not far along. So I feel like there's a right. tension, right? Well, I mean, and in, in media and in advertising, it's like on one hand, yeah. you know, gosh, I mean, you could put anyone's face up there uh-huh. in perpetuity and it doesn't change systems per se. Right, right. But then it also has some influence and some effect yeah. as well. I mean, I noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, like, you know, during the year of COVID, I, we got all the TV. I mean, we didn't have any TV before this. We had like Apple TV. So you had to like buy a show or buy right. a movie if you wanted to watch it. That's how right. like anti-TV we were. Now we got the Hulu, we got the Netflix, we got Disney Plus, right. we got it all. So, and I'm watching during um, this month, especially, but it, but also during the, just over the past 14 months with the, or, or year and a half with the, or actually it's really say five plus years since Trump was in presidency um, of, 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 uh, more AAPI, more people of color, but specifically, or maybe I'm just noticing it more Asians, um, in like, you know, on like an Instacart commercial and like on a, whatever, like a PG and E commercial. And I, my kids laugh because I always point it out. I'm like, Oh, the Asian family. Oh, the Asian family, you know, (laughs) but doing, doing normal, activities as a citizen in the United States. I mean, there used to be Asian people, but it was like Margaret Cho talking about being an Asian or it was Kim's convenience, which is a great funny show, but it's about an Asian family, but this is like just a random person. It could have, the role could have been filled cast by anybody. Yeah. Um, walking their dog, but it happens to be an Asian woman or an Asian man. And I'm like, Oh, look. And the yeah. kids are like, mom, I'm like you have to understand this didn't used to be that. Right. Right. It's like, mom, <laughs> this is a big deal yeah. for me. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. You know, and I, I, I love you talking about that because, um, this is exactly, I guess what I'm feeling is that, um, I think now that I'm getting some more like emotional distance, I, I think it's really healthy for us to acknowledge, like, there has been progress, you know, like, it's kind of funny. So like, you know, I had mentioned Minari uh, earlier, um, you know, my, my wife actually grew up in the same school with St- Stephen Young. Oh, he's from Michigan. Cool. So like, when mm-hmm. she sees that, she, it kind of represents like something very personal to her. Yeah. And just seeing this wonderful movie, getting all these accolades, it made me think also about like, um, some, some comments I remember from some of my friends in the black community, like when they saw Black Panther, and they saw Wakanda, like, like yeah. the world's most advanced civilization, you know, um, yeah. it's beautiful. It's full of this rich culture and history and technology. It's not like this kind of, um, you know, stereotypical, like tribal, like primal something. Right. Uh, people like had this like emotional reaction, you know, like, yeah. 
Well, it's, Afrofu- it's Afrofuturism, which is a whole yeah. genre. Like, right. And that's why I, I, when I found the books by Octavia Butler and I was just, yeah. I, I love sci-fi and I went into yeah. a sci-fi book, uh-huh. uh, a sci-fi bookstore. And I was like, yeah. do you have any writings by a woman of color? And they were like, yeah. have you read Octavia Butler? And I was like, no, I have not. Yeah. And she died way before her time. So I am trying to like, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to ration her, her works because I know there are no more coming, yeah. but it's like, people of color, specifically the black and African community have been, were written out of, of, of futuristic narratives. Yeah. Um, And so they're like, well, we're going to write ourselves in, you know? And so I think there's something, um, yeah, similar to what we're describing with AAPI that seeing a reflection of ourselves and seeing that we're not, um, we, we, we do, we have emerged or we, we, we don't discount the stories of our tradition and our history, but we're not bound by them either. There is a future filled with hope and redemption and promise that includes people who look like us. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's really powerful. Yeah. I I totally think so too. And like to see us not as like these token, like side narratives, right. But like in the center of the narrative. Right. And I think that's, I was also thinking about like crazy rich Asians, like, Right. You no, know, I, I didn't see, I saw it way after it came out and everyone's like, you gotta see it. And I was like, I don't know. But like, I remember seeing it and just like, whoa, it's like yeah. widescreen and all these right. people look like me, you know? And like, right. Well, that- everyone in the theater, when I took my girls to see it, all yeah. these Asian people were in the theater. And I was like, I didn't even know this many Asian people lived in my town. Right. And they all came out of the woodwork for great. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. I, I remember just thinking like, for instance, in my twenties, like I'd always go to these shows like, you know, and I go to like these indie, like underground kind of shows mm-hmm. and like, and always, always, I'm the only Asian guy there easily. Yeah. And now we're in this place where I'm not. And it's just like, I guess I want to name this stuff. Cause like, I think it's helpful for me to like, not lose hope. Cause like, I remember that week, I just felt so crushed yeah. in a way, but, but I think, I think what we're kind of getting at is that even though we find hope, like there's still a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And I, just going back to what you said at the very beginning, which I really want to touch on is I feel this tension too. Um, so to tell you a bit, like, as you know, like I record and produce music, like outside of the church and we're going to get into that in a bit, but I really kind of bristled against people kind of saying like, oh, he's that Asian guy who makes music or this is, you know, Asian artist. Yeah. Asian artist, Right. I really didn't. And you know, this, that's a real big thing, like in LA, for instance, right. Like mm-hmm. when I was in SoCal, I didn't want to hang out with the Asian American artist community because I felt like I don't want to be like reinforcing this tokenism, mm-hmm. you know, but then, you know, I'm a part now that I'm a bit older, I'm part of a historic Japanese American church. Right. Um, I really got to think about this. And I imagine you have this too, right. Because you're on a national level in the American Baptist church, you, whether we like it or not, uh, we represent people, right? We're a voice. So I, I'm finding this like really tough tension of like, I can't completely shun that either, right? Like, I think this is something that God's given to us, right? That we have to actually speak on behalf of others because that is what we're called to do. But at the same time, we kind of want to resist being like, oh, you know, we need like a female Asian speaker, <laughs> you know, like I know someone, Lauren, right? Like I got this guy in like Seattle, like, you know, and but then yeah. it's like, I got to kind of take that in a way, but then also got to resist it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, right. Well, I you want, like, you want the representation. Yeah. So, you know, you want the representation, but you're also wary of the tokenization. Yeah. Right. 
And I think and, that's uh, we're in, right? That's another example of white privilege because communities of color have to think about that yeah. in this country. Uh-huh. In this country, yeah. Right. Because we're not in the majority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, we're combine us all and, and, we, and we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that that's a challenge. And I think, um, and at the same time, in the age of social media, identify those types of identifiers, Asian artists, things like that, help you get your, your message out as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I know we're going to talk about more about music, poetry that I write. Um, sometimes I will hashtag it, you know, Asian poetry or Asian American poet. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found so many other writers and artists via those types of identifiers and others have found me those who are interested in learning more and reading more and understanding more have found me that way too so I struggle with the same thing and I'm like well I'm just a poet yeah I happen to write about my Asian identity a lot but sometimes I don't and the other interesting thing is I wrote one poem about hiking because I you know I'm a big hiker and just looking at engagement I mean it's actually one of the favorite poems I've ever written, but it didn't get nearly the kind of engagement as the ones where I'm talking about yeah. bias, racism, right? Sex, gender, sexual, that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, okay, algorithms. Like, I mean, because, you know, it's, it's not controversial. It's like about the hiking. It's about being a woman hiker and what yeah. that's like. And uh, yeah. So, and think, yeah. yeah, no. And I think, I think that's a really great example of like, so that's where I'm kind of coming around is like, I think we always have to have this uneasy tension. Like we need both, right? We kind of need to actually just own it. Like we are, we need to be that because I can only imagine like, let's say a young person, uh, like a, a young female Asian person is thinking like, I want to be a voice for justice. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she finds your stuff through a hashtag that you listed, like, you know, Asian poetry or whatever, like it might've changed her life. Right. And she's like, you totally are what I want to be. And to know that you're out there going before me gives me the confidence to do what I do. So if you had not done that, right. If you had not given yourself that accessibility, that person wouldn't have found you, you know? And I realized for myself, like, if I'm not like a pastor engaging on the national level, what about other Asian pastors like after me? Um, they won't find the strength or the, the, the courage to do it too. And exactly. so yeah. it's kind of like a bit of both, right? But while we're doing it, we also have to be very aware, like, how are we being invited? How are we coming to the table? Um, right. And we have to kind of resist like the old systems, like that we might be trying to be like shoving. Right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think it, you know, put this in the context of ministry, like we, when we're able to and can, and, and it feels, it, it gives us life and joy to, to say yes. <laughs> um, you know, we show up at those tables and, and we, we, we say yes to the speaking engagement and we say yes to, 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 to playing, you know, to, to being on the worship team or whatever for a national conference. We do these things recognizing that um, those who have come before us weren't always extended the invitation to do so. Right. But while we're there, we're, we're careful and we're, um, we acknowledge some of the things that we're lifting up in this conversation. Yeah. We're, we're careful to acknowledge the fact that now that I may have been given some power, how do I then pass that on to others? Mm-hmm. So how do I make sure that it's not just the Korean Americans and Chinese Americans and sometimes Japanese Americans who are being offered these positions or these, these opportunities within um, the American Baptist churches? Yeah. How do I make sure that 
as I say, yeah, sure, I'll serve on this for on this committee for two terms. And then after this, I'm going to nominate 10 of my, you know, Burmese sisters and brothers <laughs> who I know to take on this role after me. Right. Yeah. Um, so so we we build um, an agenda of like of, of diversity being anti monolithic in how people see AAPI. Um, we also come to that table saying things like, you know, um, this is, this is not, I don't represent everybody. Right. So, so, I mean, there's just different things that we can do once we're at the table, but I do think I do, I am like you, um, you know, I recognize the fact that generations before us would have been like, are you kidding me? Like you're getting invited to be at the table. How dare you even consider saying no? Yeah. Yeah. Because of tokenization, just get your butt at the table. Yeah. Then you can mix stuff up, <laughs> but yeah, get yeah. there first. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, yeah. yeah. Which, which yeah. was actually needed at that time. Right. I think of folks like, I mean, your dad's generation is definitely the pioneering ones, right. That just mm-hmm. creating the awareness of the Asian Alliance nationally, like just even thinking of like an Asian Alliance, like what, you know, I'm sure at the time, you know, I'm thinking of like, uh, folks like, you know, Paul Nagano, who is mm-hmm. our, our senior yep. pastor, like, I think their task was different. You know, it was just like, just show them you're alive kind of thing. Right. But like for our generation, it's kind of like a bit of both, but I think we're kind of this weird, interesting, it's almost more complicated because we're kind of like this mediating generation. Like we're right mm-hmm. in the middle mm-hmm. of it. Like we still have to get our foot in the door, but we, we know there's more to it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think they were justice fighters too in that generation. I mean, certainly in a different, they may have, they may have done it differently than, than we would do it now. But I mean, I just think about, you know, my dad serving on national staff with what was then called educational ministries for 20 years. And I remember him at the dinner table having conversations about, um, about, um, of course I'm like, uh, what do you call, <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe I can't think of it, you know, um, affirmative action. Thank you. Yeah. Affirmative action. I mean, ABC USA was talking about affirmative action and he was at the table advocating for it, you know? Um, and then, uh, I mean, I think about the stories that, you know, Paul and Heard and others have, have passed down to us about solidarity around racial issues during the civil rights era and, you know, um, all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah i I think every generation called uniquely yeah every generation has their own kind of unique calling yeah and i was talking to someone about how that's why like we can't it's like we we waste a lot of energy i guess judging the other generations you know when we actually really need to be thinking about like what are we called to in this time in this age right yeah and and also helping maybe you know because we're both parents um just thinking i think what our our task is just like I was thinking of your dad, like how to help our kids kind of discern what is their calling for their time and their place, mm-hmm. right? Um, and thinking like my daughter Eden will face different issues of diversity than I did, you know, being right. like a, a Gen X, like a late Gen X guy. Um, yeah. And she's like post Gen Z, whatever that is, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, what she's going to face. And I, th- I think that's important to, we're talking about diversity. It's not like this same battle for everybody. I think we all have our part to play in it and it's hard. I think we're all figuring it out like, like what you described about that, you know, the whole strategy of like in- inclusion and who you bring in. Like that's really complicated, right? It's so fraught. Yeah. Like we, we get it wrong all the time. Cause like totally. there's just too much to consider. 
Um, but we're the best we can ask for is just like be open, have grace and let's just keep it moving forward. You know, if we make some missteps, just get up and do it better, you know, but, um, I, I think that's one key takeaway that I really want to kind of encourage my daughter too, is like, um, you know, we're all figuring this out and you got to figure out like what God has called you to in your time and your generation. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be my calling. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. since I'm talking about parenting, I thought maybe I'll just kind of slip this into something I I thought would be fascinating if you want to talk about it. Um, I'm really interested in like your family in this time, because, you know, you have a family of uh, mixed ethnic origin, right? And Mm -hmm. um, so your children have, um, a very like a much more complex like kind of identity than even mine being a second generation Korean Canadian. And I was wondering in times like this, like I don't how- know that Canadian is a little bit that yeah yeah Canadian it's makes real it complex. Weird, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying I'm complicated, but like you know, there's other people complicated too. Um, so how about how what's it been like for you? Like what have been like the challenges and blessings of um, you know you being a parent in this time with like yeah. very like special family that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah, I have three kids, um, a a 15 year old daughter who's a freshman in high school, a 13 year old daughter who's a seventh grader and a 10 year old son who's a fourth grader. And my husband is ethnically half Jewish and then half sort of European, other, other ways, uh, uh, Northwestern European. Um, and he, um, yeah, so my kids are, 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 I mean, generally biracial, but in actuality, multiracial, because I'm also got some Pacific Islander in me. So they also have that. So anyway, anyway, um, or I should say multiracial, biracial, multiethnic. How's that? Uh, But yeah, so it's been, I mean, I think it's, it'd be unfair to not start with what it was like to just marry somebody um, who is not Chinese. And, uh, and, you know, we, we went through it, we met in high school. So we were actually celebrating 20 years of marriage this this summer. Um, so we've been together a long time, 20 years of marriage, 30 years together. That's crazy. Um, I know 20, yeah, 25 years together. Um, and, uh, I remember being in college and I kind of had what I call my angry POC days, my angry person of color days in college. And I remember sending him all of these articles about what it, you know, in unpacking the invisible knapsack of white privilege by Peggy McIntosh and like all these other books and articles I wanted him to read about, like, I refuse to be your Miss Saigon, like all these things. And I really put him through it. And I was like, we need to have these conversations because I can't, you, you are a member of the white male patriarchy. And if we're going to have a future together, we need to deal with this stuff. And he was like, totally along for the ride. And we did, and we continue to deal, continue to work through it all. So having kids, you know, is an extension of that, obviously. And um, they, you know, they each have their own, their own stories, um, you know, as can be expected. So uh, they've all experienced some prejudice already, uh, ignorance, um, you know, people who just don't, don't understand uh, or, or even maybe mean well saying things like, oh, you don't even look Asian as if (laughs) that's some kind of thing to be happy about you know versus other people who would say oh you look 100% Asian as if that's something to be happy about I mean they're they're they have an identity a racial identity that neither my husband or I have um so it's interesting to be parenting somebody where I can offer 
some guidance, but I can't really give advice born from firsthand experience. Right. I just can't. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, and then, but, but what I, what I, one of the gifts that, that Daniel and I did want to give our kids was pride around their Asian heritage Mm. um, and their Asian racial identity. Mm-hmm. So, um, because that's something that my parents gave to me, although I struggled like any kid would, and my, my children do as well. Mm-hmm. I, I did never wanted them to hear a different message from, from us as their parents, um, yeah. that would in any way lead them to think they should be shameful about it. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of, we do a lot more Asian-y things, like a lot more Chinese-y things in our family than I even did growing up. Mm-hmm. Like we never really celebrated Chinese New Year. My dad might've like brought some mooncakes in that his mother had given him, but like, we didn't celebrate it. We celebrate it now with my parents. They come over, my mom cooks, I cook. We celebrate it. When they were kids, I would bring, I would do like a little presentation in their classrooms. I'd ask their teachers, can I come in and bring a treat and do a little Chinese new year thing? Um, you know, we, yeah. So, so we celebrate in ways, um, that I, yeah, that I didn't even when I was growing up. And so my son is the only one who doesn't have a, a Chinese name um, in his given name. And he actually expressed to me recently that he wishes he did. Oh. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So we're working on getting them like Chinese names, like characters. Uh-huh. But my, my oldest daughter has my, um, has my mother's surname. My middle daughter has my father's surname, which is also mine, Ng, as their middles. Mm-hmm. But my son has his um paternal grandmother's name so that way all four of the grandparents my parents my husband's parents were represented by name somehow in our three kids i see so that's why we did it that way Uh but as a result my son has no chinese name at all and he's like i want one yeah and so on one hand i'm like i'm sorry buddy and on the other hand i'm like yes like the fact (laughs) that he wants that right he's not wanting to erase um you know, his, 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 uh, his Asian. Yeah. Um, identity. that's really great. And, you know, I was just thinking like when you're talking about those conversations, like when you were just dating your husband that, I mean, for that time, I think that's pretty progressive, you know? And I think that <laughs> that was, that was really modeling. Um, that was a long time ago. Right. Like, we're we're <laughs> talking, nine, ago. Not that long we're ago. talking 1997 that's, 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 that's when I started, 1996 is when I started. But I will college. say like, that wasn't, I don't think there are a lot of people able to articulate that kind of stuff at that time uh, like, compared to now. And mm-hmm. I think the fact that you did that at the, at the foundation of your relationship is like a really powerful model for your kids as well. Mm-hmm. You know, learning yeah. to find your voice and like finding out like what you want to take pride in, like all that stuff. Like, yeah. I think that's a real special gift. And yeah. I guess one last thing I was thinking about what you just said too, is like um, working in the Japanese American community, like, you know, we're talking about these different generations. They're talking about how, you know, the second and third generations, like, because of the incarceration, um, when they came out, they're kind of taught, like, look, you got to keep your head down, be really American, or else you're going to get in trouble again, or we're going to get camps again, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So they, they became extremely westernized. But it's interesting, after all these years, you're finding these, like, the fourth or fifth generation now are, like, we want to find out what it means to be Japanese. Cause like we've, yeah. we want to reclaim it again, yeah. but we had these like two generations where people were being silent. They're just trying to survive. Like we were saying, yeah. and it's interesting now that I'm seeing, like, we're slowly starting to get like a third generation Korean American. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have the baggage of the first. Cause like they were just trying to survive too. 
And now that we, they, they almost have the luxury to like, find out like, Hey, I like Korean pop. And like, I, I yeah. want to find out about yeah. this stuff. Yeah. And like, and the fourth generation is so not good too. And it's almost like, that's, what's interesting about this new generation, right? Like that's growing up is like, yeah. they don't have to be just survivors, you know? Right. Um, and now they can be explorers, you know? And Amen I think that's, that. that's a great way of putting it. And um, I, I think what you're doing, right. With like the Chinese new year and stuff is like, we finally have this like space, like mentally, emotionally yeah. to explore and to now yeah. impart like these beautiful traditions. Well, that- Sam, did you see, did you ever see my post about my, um, my shopping spree for my clothing? Oh no. I, <laughs> I promise it was not just an excuse to buy clothing, but I decided in this past year that I wasn't going to buy into the stigma that I was raised with that Chinese equals cheap uh, or Chinese equals gaudy right. or Chinese equals tacky. I mean, that was always kind of this, this sort of like, I don't know, cultural ethos I grew up in where it was like Japanese, you know, the Japanese culture is always so tasteful and minimalist and what Korean is tasteful and Chinese is always gaudy and tacky and cheap. Right. And anything that has a made in China sticker on it is not worth your money. I mean, imagine what that does to somebody growing up, right. Who's Chinese. Um, and so anything, any motifs, any aesthetic that was, that was overtly Chinese, I would just be like, Ugh. Mm-hmm. and so I was like, you know what? No more. There's beauty in, in the, the, the patterns and the textiles and the whatever. Yeah. And um, so I went on to Etsy and I found a couple of Asian um, independent, you know, cr- uh, clothing makers yeah. and I, I love their style. And I've been ordering some clothes from them and it takes forever for it to arrive because right. it comes from China. Right. Um, and they're these beautiful garments. And I, there's one dress in particular that it's actually my profile pic on all my um, social media that, you know, has like the Chinese buttons on it, with the cross, you know, it's panel over here. Um, and I love wearing it. Like I love going around town and being like, yeah, check out my Chinese, obviously Chinese dress with my long black hair. Like I'm Chinese and I'm proud of it. And I find it to be beautiful. Um, but that took me, I'm 40, I'm 43 this year, Sam. That took me a long time Mm. to get there. Mm -hmm. But like you said, how much sooner, um, perhaps prayerfully will our kids get there? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I think, that's, that's kind of the weird place we're in, right? We're kind of like learning to come to peace with our past. Cause like, I think we we're both like in this weird middle space, I guess, like between the survivors and the explorers. And it's like, how do we, I think the only way that we can really like empower the explorers is if like, we can kind of come to peace with like where we are, right. To move the narrative forward. And so like, you know, doing like what you said and like, I have my own stuff being yeah. Korean as well that, you know, right. I want to embrace, but then also I don't also want to be confined by either. Right. Cause like, I'm not, I wasn't born in Korea. Right. I'm not that either. And so it's kind of like that weird, like both and kind of thing. Right. That, right. That we're in. Right. Um, so are we the, are we the map makers? We're not the survivors, but we're the ones I helping to kind of, yeah. Helping to kind of, you know, illustrate the lay of the land so that those yeah. explorers can, yeah can just scroll roll, can roll it up stick it in their pack and yeah. off they go to explore i I, th- I wonder because like you know i feel like i'm getting that role in ministry as well as a pastor like a lot of what i do is this kind of like this bridge um mm-hmm. in between kind of generations and yeah i think there's really something there mm-hmm. um oh man my mind is racing i okay i i'm gonna totally... let's write a song let's write a song yeah let's write a song right now <laughs> <laughs> anyways actually 
I think this is a kind of a cool place to kind of like pause. There's so much in what you just said. So I'm kind of like, huh. Anyways, um, one thing though is interesting. I think because what we're talking about is so complicated, right? Like, I feel like, especially like folks like you and I, like we we're just talking about, we're holding so much together. I found that it's interesting that art has really been kind of like a lifeline for us because, yeah. and my theory on this is that, um, like the traditional words of process, the traditional ways of processing, like just through words, you know, or just writing, like it doesn't seem to encapsulate enough. Like it needs to almost be like this kind of spiritual, emotional, like guttural place. And I feel like that's what creativity is for me. You know, it's like this other language, like a transcendent language, right? To process. And I, I found it interesting is that both of us, when all this stuff is going down, right? All, and we're processing all this complexity, right? Um, we turn to art, right? We're creating, yeah. Yeah, right? I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's also, I've seen it in the Asian American community, is like there's a lot more art being generated right now because we're holding together a lot of really complicated feelings as this podcast shows. Like we're going all over the place talking about stuff. And it, it, I feel like it's fitting that maybe we need a better, like a more, like a higher language, you know? And maybe this is what art is. And I thought it'd be fun for us. Um, what I've done here is like, I asked uh, Lauren to um, read one of her poems and I was going to just share a snippet of a song that I'm going to be releasing in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so, cause like, I, I thought this was a great example of like what we do to like kind of make sense of the world and get us through as we create. And so I thought maybe, did you want to like preface this um, poem before you share it with us? Um, well, it touches on something that we've been talking about, which was, you know, that sort of in between space, both generationally as well as, you know, eth racial ethnically. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I think I'll let it speak for itself, but I will say that it is, it is intentionally untitled. Right. Okay. Okay. I hang in the balance limbs in liminality. Wind chimes dance from the eaves of Chinatown storefronts in graceful mockery. I am us, but not them, they, but not we. They ring and they toll like the bag of foreign currency in my bottom drawer, loose change that will never find its way home. Hmm. Hmm. That's really great. Do you, um, I mean, you don't have to, I, like, I don't want you to like unpack or like, but if you need to like, <laughs> a little bit. Thoughts. yeah, I mean, if you yeah. want to unpack or like your thoughts, like around it. Yeah. Some poems, um, and I'm sure this is the same for your music. I know it is with mine as well that, uh, you know, some, some are just ones that are, are worked on revised multiple drafts for, for weeks, months at a time. And this one was like, it just sort of, <laughs> just sort of came out I think when I posted it I called it a smattering of words on, on you know that just sort of emerged um but it started because I've been going through old boxes of of uh my childhood things my parents were like uh we're not holding these 38 boxes of your old childhood items in our house anymore you're a full-grown adult with your own home you're going to take them so my dad has been bringing them over but a few boxes at a time and as I was going through my boxes I was finding all these little baggies of foreign currency from the time that we went to Singapore when I was a kid and the time we went, you know, up to Canada and the time that we went to, you know, this and, and that. And so, um, 
And so I was collecting all this loose change and realizing, you know, I, I kept it all, but I thought, when is it ever going to, when am I ever going to use this? I mean, even if I travel back to these places, well, first of all, is that still their currency? Because <laughs> if you go to the EU, some of it's not, you know, is that still their currency? And if so, will I really remember to bring it back and whatever? So the thought was just that there's this currency, it's literally in my bottom drawer that's never going to, never going to find its way back to its origin point. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, um, there's that, you know, for liminality, which is something that I know a lot of theologians love to talk about, but for those who may not be aware of it, you know, it refers to that space in between. Um, so we find ourselves now in a liminal season, right? Where uh, the, the the pandemic is not at its worst anymore, but we're not back to sort of pre-pandemic ways either. We're in this liminal in-between space. And then, you know, an airport is an example of a physical liminal space where you're not really at your origin point, but you're not quite at your destination either. You're in this liminal space of the airport. And it, it refers to the threshold, I think, in Roman times that you would step over in a, in a doorway. And so, and then, so the, the root word of limit, liminality comes from that. But, um, and I thought, gosh, you know, liminality is a great way to describe what it is to be bicultural, um, you know, where we walk around the, uh, the United States of America as seen as a perpetual foreigner who never quite belongs here. But then um, I'm sure this has happened for you in some ways, but when I go back to China, I'm looked at as a foreigner. It's like very right. obvious that I'm American. Right. Even before I open my mouth, it's obvious. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So, so just what that, what that's like. And I mean, in Chinatown, you know, San Francisco, I've gotten had the opportunity to spend a lot of time down there and uh, that's as close as I get, you know, to kind of being in China around here. And, um, and when I'm there, it's the same thing. I mean, when I, when I walk by the, uh, the restaurants, you know, they, the, 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 the people, the employees standing outside hand me the coupon, just like they would any of the other white tourists who are walking by when I, when I walk into the store and they know I don't speak Chinese, I don't get the Chinatown price. I get the, the, you know, the tourist price, (laughs) um, and all that kind of thing. So I just thought about, yeah, I mean, yeah. So that, that's where, that's where the image came from. Um, that's really powerful because like there's so much more you can build on it right because like we were just talking about these journeys right of generations like that's a a liminal space in there that we're inhabiting that's right um there's a liminal space in like how being like public figures right Uh, public Mm -hmm. leaders right this liminal space of like Mm -hmm. um, between cultures representing but also Mm -hmm. like trying to be your own person and um yeah i really love that poem because i think there's there's so much to it right and then the the weird liminality inside of our own cells right um that's right yeah i think i think that's really powerful. neither here nor there so yeah. mm-hmm. so i was saying uh earlier before the podcast is that you know lauren is very creative so she does not just poems but she's also like in a band uh whisper fighters right <laughs> whisper uh, fight mm-hmm. oh whisper fight oh i'm sorry i meant mm-hmm. that that's okay our hashtag our our handle is whisper fighters so you're not wrong <laughs> that's right whisper fight um so, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Like you're fronting that playing the bass and like lead vocals yeah. um, and you're doing poems. Um, so there's a lot of things that you're involved in. And uh, I feel like you're always doing something creative. Like your whole mm-hmm. practice is like encouraging innovation uh, uh, and creativity and ministry and leadership uh, in the American Baptist church. So I feel like it's all kind of drawing from the same well, but just finding a lot of different expressions. You know? Yeah, I think so. I think. Right? So. I mean, and then you like yeah. 
to cook obviously and, and doing mm-hmm. other things uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think I think that's really exciting and I think that's that's a sign of like um, being like an artist is that it's not just a hobby like because like a hobby I think focuses on one particular expression you know mm-hmm. but I think if you're living a lifestyle of being a creative right like everything you do you approach as a creative endeavor right and right. it's almost like you just kind of see where it goes like if it happens to go into music fine or if it goes into visual art great you know and right I right. think and that's where like it's like the creative spirit is leading you and you're not just trying to shoehorn it into some kind <laughs> of like uh like tool or something I think mm-hmm. that's when it gets really exciting mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah well I wanted so to just get hear- to hear your song yeah yeah I'm sure kind of about mine so I'm working on a song. I just recently actually finished a mix that I think is pretty close to finish. So it might come out as a single uh, in a couple of months. I just released a new single recently. Uh, oh, good. I'm going to. That, uh, that, so I'm on, I'm doing a series. Um, I was kind of burnt out from my last album because it just, to be creative in the pandemic here was really hard. And I, I determined like that year, like I'm going to make an album and I just pushed it through. And I just felt like Ugh. great album, by the way, I remember I texted you. I was like, you didn't tell me there was a new album, but it was like a suggested for you on Spotify. Cause I follow you there. And so yeah. I was like listening to it. I yeah. think it was like, you had just like published it. Like, yeah, I think you had just released it like two days before or something. I was like, why yeah. did you tell me? But yeah. It's fantastic. Uh, it, it represents like uh, 20 years of music. So I knew mm-hmm. like I wanted it on that year to come out. But after the album came out and cause like I released on my birthday, which was also election day. So like, it was just a lot of feelings on that day. So I was just kind of spent. And so I thought, what am I going to do next? And so what I decided to do is like to reach out to my artist friends and talk to them about, can you send me just some of your artwork? Cause like, I love a lot of your art. Can you just send it to me and give me like a couple of word prompts and I'm going to make a song mm. from what I see in your art, like interacting with your art. And, um, Mm, the the one that I just released recently is like by Mei Kaitanen, who's like um, from like a Euro Taiwanese background. So she's mixed race. And so it's a lot of it's about what we're just talking about today. But um, this next one that I'm going to share with you, like just the chorus is. Um, I well, after the shootings, I just thought like I need I need to say something, but I can't. So all I knew is like I want to make some sound. Like that's the way I approached it. So I just literally made these two bars of like this phrase I had. And I had an idea of like what the image I was going to use from the artist, but I wasn't sure. But this was the sound and this was the chorus. And it was just me processing what was inside. I don't know, like, and I didn't even really know where it was going. So I'll I'll share more about it after uh, I play it.
Yeah, so that's uh, my song. And um, it was, uh, so I guess I had this phrase, like, how do you hold the light? And I think at that time, it was like, kind of like, it, it's kind of like a statement where it could be kind of dark. Cause like, you can't hold light, right? And I think that's what I was struggling with is like, I think everyone wants me to be a light right now. Like I'm a pastor, I've got to find the right words. And honestly, I'm exhausted. And I told you about like, kind of racist incident with uh, the student and just, it was tough. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, if you turn it around, it's also like, how can I be the light when things feel so dark, right? So it was like this honest question. Um, and I felt like there's something about music where like you can do that. Cause like every week I have to give a sermon where it's like, I'm trying to reveal the word and trying to help people go forward. But I think music is like a better place where you can hold questions and you don't have to answer them, you know? That's right. And I think creativity, like things like art, like poetry, like I, you don't have to lead them. Like you don't have to like drive home the conclusion or something, you know? Right, right. Like that's well, what and I as, love about. And as, yeah, go ahead. And as leaders, as leaders who, like you were saying, a lot of people are always kind of waiting to hear what we might say or how mm -hmm. we may guide them. When we create this art, it's from our own our own lived experience. So we're, it's like, we're not trying to say that it's the experience of everybody else or that it's exactly what, um, what, what we're trying to prescribe. It's not a prescription. It's a, it's a description mm -hmm. of, of what we're experiencing. Um, mm -hmm. And I also feel like there's, I mean, of course art can be judged and critiqued, but I also feel like it's a judgment free freedom there because it's like, this is just, this is just what, the spirit did in me and mm. here it is. Um, and it's not necessarily an invitation to like parse, you know, um, our academic understanding or is that, but is that really what the Bible says about it? And I have a theological difference, you know, on that. It's just like, no, this is just, just me <laughs> in a file in an audio file. This is just yeah. me on a piece of paper. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that's really where the Holy Spirit is kind of moving, right? Because it's interesting how it becomes very prophetic. Like one song I, I recorded like last year that was in that album, I recorded as a single, but uh, I didn't know where I was going with it. It just started with like sounds and textures. That's usually where I start. And then I just kind of like begin to like think of words and I don't even like know where it's going, but I just kind of trust it. That's a lot of like, I think a lot of what my creativity is about is trusting. And what's interesting is that I started kind of thinking about Ezekiel, this valley of the dry bones and thinking of this idea of like, you need to go to the, like the dead places or the broken places to find life. Right. That's where the wind rises us. Right. Like where the wind rises. And um, it was interesting. Like it was, that was actually a little before um, the death of George Floyd. And I remember when I saw that, I immediately knew like, this is what the song was for, you know? Mm. And that it's like, we need to get to, we, we can't like shut out these riots and these dissenting voices anymore. We actually have to go there, you know, if we're going to hear like how the spirit's going to raise us up. Right. And so it just felt so right to me. And it was like weird because this song came before all that, but it's yeah. almost like, you know, it's going to make sense later. Right. And I feel like, you know, a lot of your poems, for instance, you're talking about, right. Like, and as time goes on, you're like, Oh, it totally makes sense why this came out. You know, because you're kind oh, of yeah, accessing sure. this weird, like spiritual well, prophetic space, right? 
Yeah, there was a poem that is probably the one that got the most um, exposure of mine called The Game Board. Mm. And, um, and I wrote it the day before the shootings in Georgia. Mm. But by the time it made some circulation, um, everyone assumed I wrote it in response. Mm. But I was like, I actually wrote this the day before. Mm. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that there's um, this, uh, it's just, it's proof. It's evidence that the, that the spirit is always moving in yeah. and among us and weaving things together in ways that we'll never fully understand. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I think this is kind of like, a, like going full circle with everything we're talking about, like, cause you know, because we are in that, like, I don't know, maybe we're that liminal generation, right. Mm-hmm. That we're talking about where we have to navigate on this like razor thin line. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like great risk of like veering this way or that way. Um, and I wonder I'm not sure if anyone can really be like completely articulate, always right, always on point, you know? And yeah. I don't know if it's like healthy to maybe suggest like that's what you must be, you know? Cause right. it just adds another like oppression upon you. That's right. And I wonder an important part for this liminal generation is to like really access this creative spirit. Like mm-hmm. that, cause like there's something about like you were saying, like art is like a safe, the safer place to process. And um, it transcends a lot of the boundaries that we see. Um, right. It doesn't just like start and end with the church or outside of the church. Like, you know, the spirit is a lot more free to go around wherever. Right. And I wonder if like, that's an important thing for us to think about, you know, as we're going forward is that um, it's not just about like crafting the right statements, but it's about like embodying this like creativity you know, mm-hmm. that'll help us get through this all. So yeah, it's definitely helped for me, you know, when absolutely I, I just don't know what to say. Like, I just, I've been diving into my music a lot and yeah. I thought this was gonna be a down year for music, but like, yeah, I've already. And then it ended up being, yeah. Yeah, I have incredible. like six or seven songs on the way and it's almost like, oh my gosh. I'm scared of like releasing too much because like people will be like, why do they keep doing <laughs> this? Of... Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, Samuel J. Kim, poof. Yeah. Um, well, it's been, if it helps, it's been a dry season for music for me. So I think, you know, but poetry, <laughs> woo, but all the music vibes went your way, um, which is fantastic. But yeah, I think, I think art, I think art is a lot. I hope this doesn't sound um, sacrilegious, but it's, it's very, it's like scripture in a lot of ways. Like it's, it invites interpretation. It invites interaction and engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly that. like, um, you know, Midrash and the Judaic Christian. Yeah. Like, that's exactly how they view scripture, right? As right, exactly. Creative endeavor, how we mm-hmm. read the word. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's really something there. Um, I, I realize like we've gone really long, but it's <laughs> so good. I always enjoy talking with you. And I'm always like, oh boy, I want to talk about that next time. I'm always like filing me all these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were definitely a couple of moments when we were talking. I was like, I almost like kind of lost my train of thought because like I, I just got so stuck on that one thing you said. So always really fun to talk. Um, there's always so much yeah. more to talk about. And um, yeah, wishing you well with your family. And uh, and thank you so much for just blessing us. Uh, before I go, though, I did want to mention you had a great interview with uh, the Baptist Justice Coalition. Is that right? A, ba- a Baptist Joint Committee for Sorry. Religious Lib. Yep. No problem. Ba- yeah. BJC Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, uh, Religious Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you were featured in an interview there. And um, 
I thought it was really great. So if, if you haven't been able to check that out, I strongly recommend you do that with Laura too. Um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you're welcome, you're very busy, you're in demand. Everyone wants to talk to you. So I can't believe you, you know, not a lot of people listen to this or watch this, but you give us time. So thank you. It doesn't matter to me. It's always a (laughs) blessing to have a conversation. And yes, thanks for having me again, Sam. Thank you for, uh, if you made it to the end, uh, I am very impressed and I applaud your, uh, your endurance. So thank you for joining us. We'll have another episode very soon and talk to you later.